Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and today to discuss the health of our rural Australians I have with me Professor Nikki Hudson, Director of the Department of Rural Health at the University of Newcastle. So Nikki, what we know from the research is that rural Australians are actually in worse health, is that true, than their metropolitan counterparts? Absolutely, they, they experience um, worse health outcomes than uh, in regional and rural settings in Australia compared to the community in urban uh, settings. If you could tell the listeners what it is that you actually measure or what, what, what we're looking at in terms of ill health. You know, is it death or uh, premature death? or? Well, I guess it's um, not only premature death, but it's also um, uh, what we say in medicine, morbidity. So they have a higher incidence of poor health outcomes. Um, so, for example, there's a higher incidence of acute incidents like accidents um, on farms or motor vehicle accidents, but there's a high incidence of chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease in a rural settings compared to urban ones. What comes to mind instantly with myself is when I think rural and remote, I think you know, farmers, um, people that live on the land. Is that the sort of person that you're talking about or do we have sort of a breakdown, if you like, of statistics between people that live in urbanised sort of like, I believe you're in Tamworth, major towns, compared to people that live rurally? Do we have any sort of idea about the, the differences between them, if there are any? I haven't seen figures quoting that. Generally, they quote from settings, um, those that are classified as rural. And it's actually quite probably quite important to people talk about regional, rural and remote. And regional means different things to different people. So a town like Tamworth is a regional rural centre. But a big town like Newcastle or Wollongong, which have, you know, two fifty to three hundred thousand people are also called regional centres. So when we say regional and rural, I'm talking about um, non-urban populations. Um, so the largest centres are, you know, Tamworth, Orange, uh, in New South Wales, for example. Um, but uh, smaller towns, um, which have a population of, you know, three to eight thousand in New South Wales, like Mudgee. And then remote, clearly, places like Broken Hill would classify, Moree would be considered remote too, due to their geographical distance from a major urban centre. Right. And do they have different statistics to each other as well as to the metropolitan areas? Generally, the health outcomes, the more remote you become, are lower, but as not as good as urban as you go from rural to remote. Um, that's multifactorial, so it's hard to sort of generalise. Yes. Um, for example, there was recent data showing that some remote centres have a, a, a higher ratio of GPs to population than some other centres, uh, larger centres, but... Some people in Broken Hill might experience that, but those in that same area 
the general area around them have you know quite reduced access to a GP because of distance. So it's really hard to kind of generalise, but overall the um, premature death and health outcomes are, are higher in a rural and remote communities compared to urban and particularly capital cities. Right. So particularly Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, it, it's, it's distinctly different. But what a point I do want to make is that some recent um, data from the National Health Performance Authority has shown that there, there are a lot of um, preventable deaths in, uh, um, in the Australian population. Um, and clearly they, they could have been prevented with better organisation of health services or more available health services, which is an issue for rural. And then over 60% could have been prevented by access to preventive health measures such as screening, good nutrition, healthy lifestyle habits. So it points out that preventing disease through health promotion and keeping people healthy and well is really important. Treating disease really early, in the early stages, quickly and effectively. And this is a big issue in rural and remote areas because we have health workforce shortage as we discussed just a little while ago. And that reduced health workforce tending to deal with more urgent issues. And um, you don't have the kind of healthcare team of all the other nursing and allied health professionals either. And so rural and remote people are missing out on health promotion and preventative health strategies and workforce shortage is a big part of that. Because I think it's really cost effective for the nation to keep people well. So I think that is a big issue for rural people. So for example, I mentioned diabetes being a chronic disease that people have it for many years. Um, it's better to pick up someone when they're at risk of getting diabetes maybe they are overweight or their blood sugar is just on the edge of being high and, and dealing with the lifestyle factors like exercise, good nutrition, rather than waiting till they have diabetes and they're not well and the cost of medical care, um, medications and possibly hospital admissions. So I think it's really important everywhere in Australia, but particularly in rural, to improve access to a range of health professionals to keep the communities well, healthy and well. And that includes mental health as well as physical health. Yes, mm -hmm. I think that's a big issue in the bush at the moment, isn't it? The drought it is, particularly yes. is taking its toll and I don't think that's an unusual, I don't think that's a very new problem. I think uh, farmers particularly, uh, people who rely therefore on the farmers, have to deal all the time with the vagaries of the weather and that's quite stressful if your livelihood depends on it. Uh, I'm not familiar with the figures exactly but youth unemployment is a problem in the rural areas and that is a factor in youth mental health as well. Um, so I think mental health is a big issue for uh, communities. Uh, there's the fly-in and fly-out health workforce for example in mining and that, that 
uh, introduces you know mental health risk for those workers and the families that they fly in and out of as well. Yeah, so that's quite another another group, isn't it? Again, it is another group. Yes. And is that part of the overwhelm that one gets into when one is looking at well-being in this population that they're so varied? Yeah, because I think, um, like I'm, I'm an academic now. I've worked as a clinician in general practice in uh, remote South Australia and Indigenous health in South Australia and urban South Australia, where I trained. So, if you're a general practitioner in a town with little other health professional support, you need to be able to do everything coping from accidents right through to be uh, dealing with mental health issues, to be able to give advice as a physiotherapist would advise in the city because there are a lot of musculoskeletal injuries. You need to know about wound care and so on. Now, if you have arranged a team around you of health professionals who are skilled in their own particular areas, they would support, you know, there's a team of health professionals trying to keep the community healthy and well and um, would support each other in that role. So I think that's really important to have a healthcare team. And in the University Department of Rural Health at Newcastle, in Tamworth and Taree um, and across up to Maury, we have, we, we train students in a range of health disciplines and we're trying to encourage the workforce in all those disciplines in rural areas so together they can work as a team to maintain the health of the populations and particularly as I mentioned earlier to look at um, keeping them healthy rather than waiting till people are ill and then treating them then. Yes. So how do you do that? How do you keep physios, for example, in the rural remote setting? Well, I guess there's a, it's a complex issue because people need to be trained to feel they have the skills to deal with. They need to have general skills often in many disciplines because they get a range of things. Um, it's, you can't really specialise in one area in a small town because you'll need to cope with a range of health challenges. So um, people need to feel they've been well trained. I think they need to have social support and, you know, welcomed in the town and their families, if they go to, need to be well supported and supported by a community of clinicians either in the local region or by now these days technology is playing a major role so that people are connected as a community of practice like all physios can talk with each other, get advice, dial into a specialist if they need. This is in medicine and physiotherapy for example. So we are trying to um, train uh, health professionals with generalist skills so they are, are feel well equipped to go and work in rural areas. And also to support them in those rural areas. Yes, yeah, so we are supported by a budget from the Commonwealth Department of Health 
and we, apart from education, we do a range of community engagement activities. We have continuing professional education activities for some of our clinicians from nursing through allied health to medicine to create a kind of feeling of academic support and, and networking and social support of either by um, activities in the centre or going out to regions. Some of our team do that, the clinical skills team have gone out to smaller centres and conducted some upskilling events um, with simulation activities to help support the rural workforce. And I think it's really important because you can feel professionally isolated if you're the only person in a small town. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You're listening to Wellbeing and my guest today is Professor Nikki Hudson from Newcastle University and we're discussing rural Australians and their well-being. Nikki, you were saying that um, there is a move, there is Commonwealth funding um, for this training. Is that because the government has recognised this as an appropriate, if you like, uh, way of improving well-being or health of rural Australians? Uh, yes, and I think it's been both um, major parties, the coalition, and the Labor Party have supported the programs with rural funding, um, which started some years back in Michael Woodridge's time, I think. Um, and uh, all the universities in Australia received the uh, Rural Clinical School and the University Department of Rural Health funding, or most, some have a mixture of both, um, to um, support the training of students in nursing, the allied health professions like pharmacy, um, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, nutrition and dietetics, etc. Um, to try and give the students exposure to rural practice, to work with rural clinicians and to um, engage them in the community so they have a realistic view of professional life in rural Australia and uh, with the hope of um, recruiting them down, you know, down the line. But clearly they have to do further training so it takes some years before someone you know, settles in their final practice place but um, we are contributing to, or trying to contribute to recruitment of a health workforce that will go to rural uh, communities and, and as I was saying, I think really important to concentrate on health and well-being and also provide a service when people become really unwell. Right, yeah. I mean, there's still always the need for that and that does still is still going to take a substantial part of the resources, you know, provision of care when people are unwell. Uh, but it is good that the government is actually seeing that as a need and providing the funding is it yet to be seen whether the outcome will be the desired outcome, i.e. there are these health teams, if you like, working in remote rural sort of settings? Well, I think that the evidence is emerging because it takes for some, particularly in medicine, it takes many years before you finish your undergraduate training at medical school and then you have to do postgraduate training 
um, depending on what discipline you go into, um, before you settle somewhere. But um, there has been collection of data showing that selecting students who come from rural, rural origin students themselves yes. is, a, is a predictor of their likelihood of more, being more likely to return to rural areas. But there's some emerging evidence coming out of rural clinical schools that providing students with a quality, long-term, like a year's placement in a rural setting, is also more likely um, for them to uptake um, positions in rural communities. As I said, the data is still emerging on that because the funding um, for many areas is, hasn't gone long enough to show the final outcomes. But I think there's data also showing that the, these um, rural clinical schools and departments of rural health are having other impacts on their communities where they uh, learn and work, and particularly via community engagement activities. And I'll give you an example. The students from Tamworth, for example, um, the nutrition students go and work with um, Actually, students from all disciplines go to an after-school uh, activity with some of the local schools and uh, help the students with homework, give them some health education advice, and just let them meet people who are training to be a health professional to raise young people's aspirations, um, and particularly as they're rural young students, we feel that it's good to try and engage them, their interest and uh, motivation to become a health professional themselves. We go to, the physio students go to sporting events and help with advice and training uh, you know, and strapping of injuries. They go to midnight basketball, which is a local activity for teenagers, and help out there, but the students who go and, have some health education advice from the students. We have a range of activities. So we're trying to also recruit students ourselves to showing them role models of students in training so that some of the local students will be interested in those careers. Mm. I think it's wonderful. I've just been out at UN Demu, out way out past Alice Springs, and we had medical students there and they actually have a house on the community that's been built by the university for them and they have a trainer and it does make a big difference to a community. It's They're very proud of those students and that house and that it's uplifting, I think, for a community to, to be, it, it's almost as if the government's saying, we think you're worthy of, of our people meeting you and training with you, which is really, I think... Um, a, a very positive move, so I second that <laughs> completely. I think it's a great experience for the students. It's a perfect experience for the students, yeah. definitely. They don't have any experience of, of working with Aboriginal communities. Or the remoteness, what the issues yeah, that, 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 that arrive simply because you've now got to manage a patient who is a long way from anywhere. And many of the students all around Australia go to remote settings and have experiences like this. Yeah, well, that's very different to when I trained as a doctor when it was very much a metropolitan uh, pursuit. 
It was indeed. When when I trained, I had two weeks of rural experience, which was the highlight of my course almost. I went out to Sejuna on the beginning of the Great Australian Bite and had a wonderful two weeks working with the local doctors. It was an incredible couple of weeks. Yes. Yes, I think it's very good for us as well. So it's a win-win situation and hopefully it will reflect in the health and well-being of the communities such that it continues to be funded. Our funding is reviewed every uh, three years and we're just waiting to hear outcomes. But I think um, the program is, is well perceived by government, I understand, and I think it's really important for it's actually also had economic benefits for regional rural communities because the funds come rurally and we've had a lot of infrastructure built and staff living and, and working and bringing researchers and all kinds of people who, who contribute to the local economy. Uh, we have a lovely new building in Tamworth which um, was built by... Um, rural firms and um, we've had we had functions here with visitors from all over Australia who stay stay in local hotels and whatever so I think it's actually had a you know some regional uh, benefit as well in terms of economics I'm sure. You're listening to Wellbeing and my guest today is Professor Nikki Hudson from Rural Health at the University of Newcastle in this last segment of our program, would it be appropriate to discuss with the listeners the things that you perceive actually influence why people perhaps don't access? Is it that they don't access medical care as often or that they, in their day-to-day living, just don't come across medical people as often? What do you think is actually going on in terms of the lack of, say, diagnosing diabetes? Why aren't they screened as heavily for it? I think there's several, it's multifactorial. We mentioned access to the workforce um, to do this. Sometimes it's really hard to get into a uh, for an appointment, so people um, don't make the effort. I think geographical distance is a, a, a big issue because clearly some people are living more remotely and are a long way from healthcare and so don't access it um, when they should. They tend to not prioritise it. And I was recently talking to a consumer from remote Queensland who um, said, when, when we come for treatment or come into service, you should seize the opportunity and do all the screening for us. You know, be opportunistic when you have someone. You should make sure you're screening their blood sugar, their blood pressure, maybe their cholesterol, etc. Take advantage of those opportunities. Um, so I think that's an important point. And particularly, I mean, when there's less public transport in most rural settings, um, it can be expensive to come quite a bit of distance. So I think finances can impact on people accessing care and I think you've probably heard in the press that some uh, people are concerned about the GP co-payment that will be even a greater 
disincentive for people to seek care before it's a problem rather than waiting. They'll go eventually when it's really, you know, severe. So I think cancer is another good example of some, a chronic condition. If you had something abnormal and you're a long way away or financial, you will just sort of think, oh, this is not important. And then finally you seek care when you have severe pain or you notice some blood in your um, stools, whatever, and often the disease has progressed considerably. So I think also you, uh, it's acknowledged that rural people are often very resilient mm. and don't complain don't, you know, until they've really got a problem. And I think that is an issue as well. Mm. There's a real fear, isn't there, of being reliant on others? And, uh, yeah, and sometimes you just mentioned fear. People you know, often are nervous and don't want to know and then finally uh, uh, need to seek care because it's really an issue and it can be too late um, for cure. So I think it's an issue. And you mentioned the drought and if you have severe financial problems and you're really concerned of how you and your family are going to manage, you tend to put your own needs lower. Yes, they become trivial, don't they, in comparison? Yeah, and I yeah. think that could be an issue as well. So it, it can be difficult, yes. Yeah, different focus. Actually, I do, I do want to say it's not all doom and gloom uh, no. in rural communities because I think people are resilient and do cope and have great social support and network communities really support each other and I think that is a real feature of being rural and that is what we want students to see how well rural communities function as a unit because I think that's a real feature of them. Yes, and do we capitalise on that in wellbeing and, and health? Um, yeah, it's hard to know. Um, I think... Um, they're sort of networks where people look after each other and might encourage their friends to seek help and then gather around when people are sick. For example, if you have to go to the city with a sick child and you have other children, you have to go to a larger centre to have a baby or have cancer treatment, mm. you need social support to manage. And I think you know people do rally around when they are close to support each other at that time and that is a real bonus of living in a tightly knit community because it does there's quite a lot of social costs when you're not well if you have to travel away from your home and family to receive care yes yeah i'm just wondering about sort of capitalizing on that um in terms of for example quite a few people are developing diabetes um, supporting each other with the difficulty of maintaining probably more vigilantly than before they had the diabetes a healthy lifestyle. So eating well, exercising, it's a lot easier, I think, if you, for example, to walk in the morning, if you've got somebody standing outside your house waiting for you because you walk together in the morning, uh, that that sort of thing. But there is a bit of the bush telegraph, etc., and just supporting each other in goals is probably something we don't really capitalise on 
as much as we could with communications being what they are these days? You know, people aren't quite as isolated as they were. Absolutely. I mentioned technology earlier, and I think e-health or health technology has been very beneficial and has even further capacity to connect people, whether they be patients in forming a community and supporting each other when they're geographically isolated. Technology can bring a dietitian into a community and provide people with appointments via um, uh, Skype, for example, or other telehealth-type technologies. Um, GPs, for example, who have gone rurally and feel prepared has access to specialist care in emergencies at the end of a telehealth communication. And people can get excellent service due to that. Have the generalist GP managing it with a subspecialist in the city providing expert advice. But I think when you mentioned about health and well-being, I think rural communities and remote communities particularly can really capitalise on social networking, you know, social media to um, connect each other, give each other support and advice and uh, advocate for each other when there's a need for services, etc. Yes, exactly. It's been a really interesting talk about a very, very broad subject, which I should imagine is uh, evolving and is quite difficult to to manage. <laughs> so I take my hat off to you for do, trying to do that. Well, thank you. Um, I feel passionate about rural health, as you might have gathered, and I work with a lot of colleagues here who are the same, and I have uh, colleagues all around Australia who are working in different rural settings who are really working hard to try and train or educate professionals and uh, contribute to the workforce, reduce the workforce shortage we have in rural Australia. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to do. I've been speaking via Skype connection with Professor Nikki Hudson, Director of the Department of Rural Health, University of Newcastle. From all of us here at Wellbeing, we'd like to say that we wish you well. Thank you for listening.